from the summit in Tucson, Arizona, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Josh Sigmund and Robin Lavasar. Today's topic, living a life of joy. So I'll, I'm going to give some transparency, right? So this is the first time I've, I've uh, been asked to speak class like this. Um, I got the call, I guess, 90 days ago or so when uh, Lindsay um, Sparks said, Hey, Josh, I need to take the, the joy class. And I had like sheer panic and stress because I like ta- te- teaching what I'm really good at and I like know and there's tactical information and things like that. I'm like, this is not good, Lindsay. You can pick anyone else. She said, oh, don't, don't, don't worry. Um, Jane Floyd is going to teach it with you. And I was like, oh, oh, thank God. Okay. I'll just, I'll just take the ball and pitch it to her and sit out of the way and let her run with it because Jane's such a great example of just being in true joy. And, uh, I, I know you guys all heard what, what's going on with her and her husband. And that started over a year ago. And last semester, I gave Jane my dragon because for the whole semester last semester, I've got to coach her all year, actually. But uh, through the uh, June or through the May summit, I guess, um, the way that she handled herself and, and every call and every off call. And uh, I know she talks to a lot of the other coaches and friends and the way that she approaches every day with what for most of us would be an absolutely crippling uh, situation is an example of joy. Right. So. Um, Obviously, I was like, cool, this chick can teach this class, and I don't have to, to screw it up, right? And then uh, Friday, actually, I got the call from her, um, and she's obviously not able to be here because of some really, really terrible news. And um, after my sadness for her passed, and I got on a plane to come here, then the stress and, and, uh, and uh, um, the issue came back to me, right? So I started trembling again. I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about. Um, and then they said, well, you can pick a partner. I was like, so I started thinking, I was like, okay, the, most of the coaches are as big a screw-ups as all of you, just to be really clear. If not more, that's probably why we drive a little bit harder sometimes than some of you. But we're all very screwed up, and we share our issues with each other all the time. And literally the only other person that I could think of, I was like, okay, who's somebody that, to me, is an example in marriage, to me, seems to always have her crap together, um, to me is somebody that just literally embraces life and the love of people. And I got to pick my friend Robin. So um, I'm super excited to be, be uh, coaching with Robin on this one. Um, we're going to cover a couple things. And so I, I'm not the note taker and I'm not the prepper when it comes to classes. You know, if, if you've seen me teach ever, I generally just kind of my eyes roll back in my head. I just start spewing information that comes from books I read three years ago that I can still see the pages. And I just teach it over and over again. That's how I act, and so that's how I teach. And I found myself yesterday, the day before, this morning, the last class, keeping on taking notes of, okay, I just want to make sure I give something that's clear and concise, so at least there's something that's actionable with it, as I share what I'm going through and what other people are going through, and hopefully this will be helpful for all of you. So uh, what Robin and I came up with as far as an outline is, First, we want to make sure, take a little bit of time to understand the difference between joy and happiness. Because there is a difference, right? Uh, happiness is temporary. And that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. Um, I am a depressive personality. So I have extreme highs and I have extreme lows. And that, and, uh, if I'm focused on uh, worldly things typically or uh, an experience I just had or somebody that I'm dealing with, then that person may or may not impact me and my happiness in the moment, right? But joy is permanent. 
and we get to choose which side of things we get to work on. So we would definitely want to dive into that a little bit deeper. Uh, the second thing is, is what, uh, what can we focus on that we can control, right? Because clearly there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen every single day year, uh, in year uh, of our life that we cannot control. So what are some things that we can control that kind of keep us in our lane, right? Like, I, I, I don't operate really well in my highest of highs or my lowest of lows. Um, can anyone else relate to that with me? Like, either way. The highest of highs, I become an, an eternal optimist, and I make poor business choices, might be an example. I keep people around that shouldn't be around my life because I see the best in them sometimes when I shouldn't. Uh, and on the lowest lows, uh, I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I've heard that in real estate and lending, some of us drink too much. I am guilty, right? Uh, and so in my lowest of lows, I, I turn to, and some of us do different things, uh, but we start doing some um, destructive tendencies too. And so for me, I, I, I can go on a period of time where I'll have a drink or more every day for a couple months, but it was just a drink or two. And then when I'm really drinking, then I've found that I've had, I have a tolerance that's like an elephant. Um, it's not a good thing. Maybe it's just really good training over the years. But my point is, is that when I, when I turn it on, I don't turn it off. And I think that some of us are guilty of that too. And maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe it's other things that are just bad things for you. It's the people you hang out with. It's the other influences that take us away. Um, but we want to dive into that a little bit. And then the third area is what are some success strategies, right? Tactically, because this is my comfort zone at least, what are some things tactically that we can actually do for sure every day that can kind of keep us in that right mindset to stay in joy, okay? So I'm going to start with a table exercise, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let Robin do some heavy dealing. Um, but this is a question when I was uh, talking to Roy, when I was talking to Chris Haynes, who came to my rescue. I was talking with Alan last night. I was talking with Jess, a, few, a former employee. I talked to Nikki, and I talked to Je- uh, Hunter helped me out a lot, and I talked to Jim Reed. I mean, I'm talking like this has really stressed me out. And one thing that Chris pointed out to me was he's, uh, about two years ago, he was going through a really challenging time himself in his business. In fact, his whole business was imploding. He basically had to fire or half of his team quit. And he was working 90 hours a week. It was affecting him at home just as much as it was at work. Uh, and I remember on a coaching call, and he reminded me of this, he said, um, Josh, what you told me is, what would you give up just to have your joy back? Like, what would you pay? What would you give up to just be happy and joyous? What would you give up? Right? And the flip side, he said, why don't you, why don't Josh, why don't you just ask the group? Why don't you just ask, what are you allowing, uh, right now? What is this group allowing to rob you of your joy currently? What are you actively allowing in your life, in your business? What are you allowing to happen that is robbing you of your joy currently? Okay. So I want you to go ahead and write down your answer to that. What is in your life right now that is robbing you of your joy? And once everyone starts to look up, I want you to go ahead and share it with your table. Let's get a little bit authentic, okay? Okay. How many people here had something that steals their joy that is business-related? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. How many people have it that it's family-related? Okay. Good. Financially? How about the past? 
many people can't let go of the past? We do a lot of coaching, I think, and a lot of students are holding on to things that they wish, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and that is allowing every day to just kind of infiltrate their joy. I loved what Josh said, and first of all, thank you for the beautiful introduction. I think that it it made me smile, and it also made me really freak out and be nervous, and I thought, I hope I can pull this off. Um, Because for me... (laughs) Don't screw it up for me, please. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) When Lindsay called and said that um, I was going to get to do this, I met with Josh this morning, and he said, I chose you. And... And I was blown away because my bucket list item is to teach next to Josh Sigmund. Um, I don't know about you guys, but he's one of the epitomes of just what you would want to become as a human being, as a father, um, as a husband. I, I love so much that he represents, and I think that he is um, just, you know, I hold him so high up here that it's really fun to be chosen by you. And um, you see an example in me. So thank you. Thank you. Um, When I think about joy and happiness, you know, Rick taught us, and it's stuck with me ever since the very initial lesson, that they're two very different things, and Josh mentioned that. For me, happiness can be faked. How many people can fake happiness? Right? You put your game face on, right? You just lose a deal, you're really mad, you jump back up, and you put a smile on your face, and you go. But you don't feel it. And to me, joy is deep down in your gut. Joy is something that when a car swerves by you and cuts you off, you think they must have some place to go instead of, you're a jerk. Right? I think of the little things in life that we allow to get the best of us in moments where we're really, truly, and it's a saying that my husband says to me all the time, and I am so grateful for it, we are too blessed to be stressed. So when I think about joy... I think about how I got there, and it wasn't always. Um, I've always been a really happy person, but as I've grown, I think joy is something that you actually have to work towards every single day. And I think it is. I have a huge sign in my house, and I have it all over the place. And when I see somebody struggle, I often ship them a sign that says, choose joy, because I believe that it's a choice. And I think that you have to make the choice every single day. One of my favorite quotes in the world is, be the change you wish to see. And how many people that you see are miserable that you allow to suck the life out of you and they steal your joy. And instead of complaining about them, I decide that I'm going to represent in a different way to where I add joy to people rather than steal it. And it's literally a conscious choice. And there's, we'll go through a lot of activities of how to get there and what to do, those kind of things. Um, I think for me overall, I think about circumstances. I was, um, I'm, I know a lot of you know Rick jokes that I have 22 children. I have um, actually triplets. So I have 16-year-old triplets, an 18-year-old, and then an adopted son that's 26 now. When I was 24 years old, I'd been married for three years and found out that we had three babies coming. We were broke. Uh, We were scared. We had a two-year-old. We lived in a rental. Um, I was working as a mortgage assistant. My husband's in construction. We were living paycheck to paycheck and really weren't even ready for number one, let alone number two. And then there was going to be four in diapers with formula, the whole gamut. And I remember finding out by myself at the doctor and then crying hysterically and then feeling like a horrible mother because it was really hard for me to find any sort of gratitude towards what I was just given. And for anybody that's ever struggled with 
wanting children that isn't able to do it. Like, I just, for me personally, I felt so guilty about the amount of stress and, and unhappiness that it was giving me in that moment. And I'll never forget thinking my husband's going to leave me. He's literally going to leave. He wants two kids. We've got four. He's out the door. This is going to be a disaster. Multiple divorce rates are like through the roof. And the moment I called John and told him over the phone because I can't keep a secret, he said, all right, listen, we're going to be fine. You know what? Bigger life, better life. That's what we're going to call this. And we're just going to do it. Now, secretly, I think he was drinking 72 Coors Light and smoking cigarettes on the back porch. Like, I, you know, I don't think he really meant it, but I believed him. And he somehow believed that not only we could do it, but he's always believed that I could do it. And so I think one of the things in joy is having somebody in your life that brings you back constantly to the ground that says we are too blessed to be stressed. And we can take this on together. So I think that's a really important piece of having joy is having somebody, doesn't even have to be a spouse, right? It could be a partner, it could be a parent, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend. Somebody that's willing to bring you back to a place of joy when you are choosing to be unhappy. We can stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I, like, I think that's a good place to start in general. Um, when... When I start thinking about what robs us of our joy, and if we, if we take the belief system that we get to choose how we act every day, we can choose joy or not, then we also have to start by getting the, getting rid of the other negative influences, right? Um, all of you guys shared something that's robbing of your joy, and the first thing that I try to remind myself is, is that we are the only ones that can allow that to happen, right? Like, you've all heard the, the conversation in business of no one can interrupt you, only you can allow yourself to be interrupted. Have you heard that conversation before? Right? Like somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, can I bother you for a second? And your answer is going to be whether or not you're going to be interrupted or not. Right? Well, I think in joy it's the same thing. So I think that we have uh, special projects that are in family. Like I raised my hand, I think, for the five questions she asked. Like raise your hand if you're, you know, somebody at work uh, is dropping your joy. Raise my hand. And it's like uh, raise your hand if somebody uh, in your family is, is robbing your joy. And I raise my hand. And they ask about money and I raise my hand. Um, and I feel really stupid about that, but I'll tell you this, and this is why it was really weirding me out about having a teacher right now. I think God works in serious ways. I just filled out the worst wheel of life I've filled out in 10 years, this trip. So I'm sitting there yesterday being like, they want me to teach this? Are you sure? Right? What's really funny, though, is then, uh, after all that, you know, after I'm uh, giving myself two and three and two of my seven areas, right, um, I had some better friends of mine that, that sat down and said, hey, listen, I saw that you don't have a star, you don't have a flat tire, it's just kind of like flat, like it's just nothing, right? And like, uh, what's that all about? They're like, don't you remember that your wife and three kids are still healthy and you made a little bit over $3 million already this year and you've already told us that you could retire, like I could be done today. Um, so all these things are my reality and yet I'm giving myself a two or three. Uh, what, what Roy refers that to is that we're, we have, uh, these are first world problems. Right? It's first world problems. So, um, whether we allow somebody to over impact us, right? Like, uh, I think about, uh, Rick has knocked me, I think, 30 times in front of you guys so far, let alone my coaching friends, at least 30 more times, right? Um, whether or not, whether or not we allow that to, uh, push us up or push us down is up to us. I, I think that's just a true story, right? I think that whether or not we choose to engage the, brother that's a misfit um how many of you guys have a sibling that just went a different path than you raise your hand like it hurts like a really bad different path right 
Um, we realize, I think, uh, naturally, we realize it's their life to live. But it's really hard to allow that to happen, isn't it? Um, my brother still lives in my mom's basement right now, right? He's a year younger than me. He is way smarter than me. For the record, the dude is damn near a genius. Let me tell you about my brother and, like, how different this path is. My brother took the SATs, and we all knew, my, my, my whole family knew he's way smarter than me, right? So he takes the SATs, and uh, we get the score back, and it was, like, less than a 1,000, Okay. My dad loses, I'm watching this, I'm on video again, right? So he loses his lid, right? He's like, Justin, are you on drugs? Like, what's going on? He starts, like, shaking my brother, like, what's going on with you? Like, how could you have done this? And my, my brother's answer was, Dad, the test was boring. I stopped taking it. So we, you can go back and review the test and, like, take a look at it. And literally, of every question that he answered, so far he had 100% of them right. And then he just stopped. Okay? So they went back and took it again. What, what do you think happened? Damn near a 1600 on the SAT. It's like you missed two or three questions, something stupid. Okay? So that's how smart this guy is. So I wonder what happened with the path crossing and what happened here. So I'll share some of the story, right? Um, my brother's identity is based in his work. That's his identity. Who can relate to that? Okay. I think that I've struggled with this a lot, a lot along the years. I probably still do a little bit. I think that, uh, that, you know, there's a rise before the fall and that no one can stand on top, top forever. So I've had the identity of being a top producer. Then I had the identity of being number one in the core. Then I had the identity of being a decent coach or, or a senior coach. And then I've also had, uh, now there's 10 or 15 or 20 of, uh, of my friends that are better than me on paper, period, right? Um, so what, what happens to your identity, and does that steal your joy as well? My, my brother's identity 100% is tied to his work. And so this guy is a guy that was so smart that he's literally uh, on Sudan, the Constitution of Sudan at age 26 or 27. He's literally one of the guys that inked it. Like, he's a guy that wrote the Constitution of Sudan, like literally. Okay? So he's doing really well. He's overseas. He works in all the worst places in the world. He's uh, running around with uh, with SEALs and guys like that protecting him when he's working for the State Department. And he's an attorney that's writing to bring in millions of dollars to repave roads and build city streets and rebuild um, uh, schools and things like that in Iraq and Afghanistan and really cool stories, right? And so every time he calls his big brother, he's always happy. Because he has these cool stories of things I did and these things I achieved and these things I accomplished. And he is super, super happy. And, uh, you know, when your brother is one year younger than you and you move 10, uh, 10 states and three countries growing up before age 18, like your best friend, your closest friend is that person. That's the only constant I had separate from my family, separate from my parents, right? And so all the way through uh, high school, all the way through college, uh, we went different colleges. He went to Ohio. I went to Texas. Uh, afterwards, he goes to law school. He actually jumps in a plane and comes to Texas so he can be at UT, so he can be within driving distance of me, so we can hang out some more. So we're buddies, we're buddies, we're buddies, we're buddies. We're always good. And he's, I'm the big brother. He's the little brother. And his work career is getting better and better and better and better. And he meets this girl of his dreams, and he gets married. And uh, when, he, when he gets married, one of the things conditions of the marriage was that he had to not be overseas all the time, these bad places, try and find a job in, in the States, go to D.C., right? So he flies back to D.C., and uh, and right then, because he quit his overseas job, do you guys remember like seven years ago, six years ago, when the government shut down all government spending, like employees could not get a job? My brother quit his job a week before that happened. Okay? So now he's in a situation where uh, I know I was really good at this, and I was a really highly paid guy at this, and everyone knew me, and I had 20, 200 people that worked for me, and 
my big brother respected me, maybe. And all these extra things that are external were the reasons for his happiness. And it was all taken away. And so all of a sudden, the world was a little bit gloomier, and then past gloomy, and then it wrecked his marriage. He was divorced within one year, uh, and couldn't get a job for way too long. He's doing way better now. He's got a great job now. Uh, but there was a period of six years that he wouldn't call me or return my call. Six years. My, uh, my, when you would do my, if you go back and look at my wheel of life for several years, you know, probably four of the last six, my family was rated a one or a two simply because my best friend, my brother, wasn't calling me back. Like, I would buy him plane tickets to come to Thanksgiving, he would no-show. He would literally just not get on the plane that morning, uh, or Christmas, or whatever. And so, when I think about what I try to do differently, and what, I tr- what, what I'm trying to remember and, and help you guys in sharing the story is, which one are you, right? At some point, I had to realize that, hey, listen, I love my brother, and I'm always going to love my brother, but I can't fix my brother, and it's his life to live. Does that make sense? So I think that's a good place for all of us. And I think that if, you, if I can do that with my brother, I will always be there for my brother, but he's not going to rob me of my joy, right? Then we can eat more easily and readily do that with our employees, with people that we, that we hang around that we probably shouldn't. Um, take an extra step. Spouses, okay? Um, the spouse issue is always an interesting one, right? Like how many of us start to complain in some way, shape, or form because our spouse didn't make us happy because of whatever. Raise your hand. You've had that thought. I do so much. I bring home the bacon, right? Uh, I, I buy all the fancy cars in the nice places. We go on these trips, and you didn't do blank for me. Anyone guilty of that like I am? I'm very guilty of that, right? Um, that, the idea is, and what I've started to learn over the last few years, and I'm always working on it and I always struggle with it, is that... Um, Without purpose, be clear about that, without purpose, you seek happiness from others. Without purpose, you seek happiness from others. You expect them to fix you, to fill your voids. Okay? When you have purpose, you have something to champion, and it's something for you that is special for you. It's a reason to get up and push through for the day every single day. I don't care what it is. You can be part of a charity. You can just want to be, you know, the best loan rep or, or realtor in the nation. You can be, your purpose in life is to uh, create the new widget. I really don't care. But as long as you're passionate about it, you could be a, a workout fanatic. Some people, I uh, heard Haley just jumped on a bike and went, what, 240 miles? Is that right? She started taking testosterone just to be able to make it over the hill. Thank you for telling I'm just making sure everyone do. <laughs> Um, I, I love that, though, because I don't know how many of us are that, like we say we like to work out and get in shape, but how many of us are addicted enough that we're going to go ahead and train hundreds of miles a week to be able to go 21,000 feet of elevation? Is that what the change was? 21,000 feet of elevation on a bike just because, right? So it gives you a reason to get up and get motivated and get after it, and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't become that important anymore. Does that make sense? So when we when, when I... Uh, I am very lucky that Roy hasn't fired me yet. So every Friday, I'm on a call with him, 8.15 in the morning, I get my 15 minutes. I'm diligent sometimes, I'm not diligent always, sometimes I miss the call. And it's, guess what, what times I'm typically missing the call? When I'm not doing great. I hide from it a little bit. Anyone else hide from it a little bit? 
I'm not doing great. I really don't want to have somebody tell me you're not doing great. Because what he always does so successfully is he turns the doubt on, because I'm always pissed at somebody about something, right? I've got that chip on my shoulder just like you do, right? And I turn around and this person, I'm pissed at this client, I'm pissed at this spouse, I'm pissed at this kid, I'm pissed at this brother, I'm pissed at this is what's going on in my life. And his answer is, well, you got this all wrong. It's you. Let's talk about you for a little bit. And I don't like that answer so much because working on you is really, really, really hard, right? And so going back into um, the, Josh, just focus on what your purpose is and make sure that you understand that you can't fix anyone. You can be there. I love her answer of what can I do to bring joy to a situation? What can I do to bring joy to a person's life on a daily basis? That is the answer. Don't seek joy from others. You will not find it there. You can find it in higher power. That's about the only place. A higher power, something you're super passionate about, something that you feel a lot of purpose in. That's about it. But don't seek it in others, because you'll be a shallow grave. That's what you're going to find there. Okay? Um, what I want to do really quickly, I'm going to turn it back over to Robin for some thoughts on this. I just want to kind of close the gap. Is everyone really clear the difference, though, between joy and happiness now? The idea that happiness is a temporal state. It's, it's temporary. It's temporary. It's the high that we seek all the time, which is fun to seek, but it's still temporary. you got to feed the beast when it's about happiness, right? And you understand that joy is something that wells from within, based on purpose. Everyone clear about that? Cool. Final thoughts in this section? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think about... Um what you said about your brother, and I think if there's one thing that can really, really get me is other people's struggles. So work doesn't really steal my joy. Um, frustrations with things, little day-to-day things, they don't really steal my joy. I really, really, I feel really good about the joy in my belly. Like, I, I, I love it. It makes me very happy. It makes me very at peace. Other people's struggles, I often allow to take a piece of it sometimes. And what I've really, really worked on is... Again, if we are the best version of ourselves, and if we put our best foot forward with a joyful heart and with a grateful heart, I think that the impact that we can have on people who are struggling is far greater than if we join them. And, and you know, one of the things that Rick and Todd and a lot of the core coaches have taught that I think is amazing is, you, you know, there's three emotions, essentially. There's mad, there's sad, and there's glad. And what's Rick's rule? Be mad or be uh, be. Glad, Glad. but never be sad. And I know that sounds easier said than done. Um, And yet, if you really, really think about it for a moment, how much truth is there? Sadness really doesn't get us anywhere. Now, that doesn't make you, you know, unsympathetic or unempathetic. Um, It doesn't mean that something doesn't weigh heavily on you. But at the, you know, the ultimate price, like being sad is literally just a state of sorrowful, sorrowful, excuse me. Um, and, And it's... It's just sad. And when you're mad, what does anger normally turn to? Action. What does being glad turn to? More of it. Right? Going to do more of it. Yeah. You're just, I mean, it's, it's contagious, right? It affects other people. When you are sad, it's such a, just a state um, that doesn't get you anywhere. And I think that thinking of those things, um, I asked Roy going into this what, what his favorite verse was that led to joy. And I'd like to read it to all of you guys. Um, and that's Philippians 4, 4, 8. And it's rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Think about that. 
but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus. I think about that, and I don't know about you, but one of the ways that I feel like I choose joy is when I feel myself getting anxious, when I feel myself getting sad, I literally instantly stop and take a few seconds to just pray and say, I'm going to take this off of me and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to go on choosing joy. I don't know what tactics you guys use, but that's something that for me is just a, a big transition. I love that. And I think it's a great segue into changing the mood because now I now I get all the sadness off my heart. Now I can actually like get really focused. Okay. Um, easier said than done. Right. If you're sad, do you always know that you're sad for until a little bit longer than normal? Right. Everyone else knows you're sad. Do you know that you're sad right away? Not necessarily. Right. When you're not joyous, do you know? A lot of times in our business, we go through the motions, right? We get up, we've got such a tight schedule, we can go from point A to point Z just because i got to be somewhere in 15 minutes. Is that a true statement? Cool. I want to talk about recovery rate. I think recovery rate matters. Recovery rate matters. So what this means is, is that how do you identify a, how do you identify when you're in a bad place uh, with joy or happiness, either one, how do you identify when you're in a bad place and or... What do you do about it? What are your individual tactics to fix the problem, right? To get that forward mo- uh, uh, momentum. Because we know that fix is a, is a easy term in business and in cars maybe. But fixing the problem when it comes to, God forbid, a sickness, an ongoing sickness, you're not fixing that problem tonight in a, in a blink of an eye, right? As far as fixing the problem at, at work, if your business is, is bleeding out in units, volume, and profitability, or whatever, you can't wake up tomorrow and it's just going to be better, right? So what do you do to recover, I guess, is my first question. What I want you to do is go ahead and write down just for a few minutes, and we're going to share at the table, and I want to get some ideas here in just a second from you guys, but go ahead and write down, how do you identify, how do you identify when you're in a bad place, what helps you, what triggers you to know that you're in a bad place, number one, and what's your go-to, this is what I do, to recover quickly, to get out of it, to get back in the, in the forward uh, momentum, okay? Don't you guys love therapy? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like I'm crying up here. I saw like three tears in the room. I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to point them out. Like, this is freaking cathartic, isn't it? Huh. All right. So I'll go first, and then I'm asked. That way you guys can understand mine. So Robin just asked me, hey, Josh, like, out of curiosity, how do you know? So how I know is I gain weight. I overeat, and I drink a lot. And I didn't notice, I didn't notice that until probably three, four years ago. But what's really interesting is I, I used to call it I gained my winter weight. Right? Because I hunt in Texas and I'm, in, I'm on the ranch and it's cold a little bit, so I, I, I beef up a little bit. That's my justification. Uh, and then I get into a swing at some point and, and like every other or every third summit, like I gotta lose 20 pounds or 30 pounds by the next summit. I gotta work on myself, right? But the early indicator for me, not early, but the indicator that every once in a while I look down, I'm like, where the hell did all this come from? Okay? Um, that's how I know. So let's first talk about indicators for you guys. Best idea from a table. Let's hear one. Good. I find myself getting angry, snapping. Oh, uh, snappy. Who's snappy? Who's a little bit snappy? 
uh, by the way, do we snap at our employees? Do, do we snap at our clients? Not really. Who do we snap at usually? Oh, yeah. I love you the most, though. You're screwed. I'm going to snap at you all night. <laughs> awesome. Guilty as charged. What else? Right here. Um, obsession. I obsess about everything. Obsessed like you like micro focus down onto one thing or what? Everything. Yes. On everything. From the baseboards to the gifting program to my evening routine to myself to everything. That's fun. Is it to fill up your day so you don't think about the other stuff? Um, no, I think it's there. I'm not wanting to deal with whatever the one issue is. So I'll find problems everywhere else. So I don't have to acknowledge that. <laughs> That's really interesting. What else? I think uh, Monday is like a big one for me. Like when I make the calls and I'm. I don't reach anybody, and I kind of like get to the end of the day, and it's like, this business is kind of like, do they like me? Do they really like me? Because you, you, yeah. you want people to like your what you do for them, and you're like, I do a good job, and I close on time, and yada, yada, and I send out gifts, and bring, and then you're like, why don't I get referrals? Like, why don't they like me? And you get kind of like down on yourself with that. Okay. And so you start questioning yourself a little bit. Yeah, and then you have cycles of the summer where, oh, everybody likes me, and then it gets into the fall. Nobody cares. That's interesting. It's so, cold, do you guys, has anyone else like quantified their leads to their happiness level? That's kind of a weird, interesting thing about our group. Great. Thanks for pointing that one out. I'm not to measure that for myself. Over here. I start to think of the self-destructive habits that I have. Those start to come to mind. And, oh, I'd love to do have a cigarette, or I'd love to have this, or I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I thinking like this? Why is my mind shift going towards the destructive habits? Guilty as charged. Who else? Structured habits. Go ahead. I start looking at toys to buy. What do you do? I start looking at toys to buy. Really? That's not that's not a good thing. <laughs> yes. Let's get three more. Uh, I just tend to shut down. So like even if the next thing on my calendar is something fun, like a joyous activity, I just don't want to do it. No matter what it is, I don't want to do it. It's next. Okay, so you start recognizing that the things that you know that you prioritize in your calendar and you know are important, you just opt out. Completely opt out. Just do wow. That's not good. Yep. A couple of people at our table mentioned that our, that our energy level drops or we get sick. You know, our, you know, just, you Who know, gets physically sick? That's interesting. Raise your hand. You get sick. Wow. All okay. energy. So when your mind gets all screwed up, your body gets all screwed up. That's interesting how it works. Last one. One more. The, my self-talk goes to uh, losing faith in people and just kind of in humanity when it goes down to that level. Leave it, losing faith in people. So yeah. it's definitely not us. It's them. It's them. Good. 100%. Have you ever heard the analogy like uh, if everyone else is crazy around you, it's probably not them. You're the one that's the crazy one. Like I've been at like, like uh, family gatherings before. I'm like, dude, these people are freaking nuts. And I start thinking, wait a second, am I in the nut house too, right? Uh, all right, so let's switch the let's flip the switch then. So what do we uh, what do we do about it, or what's the, what's the way that you recover? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, I like I've got a ranch, I've got a I've got a happy place. I literally have a happy place in my life. Um, it is a safe place. It is completely controlled by me. Uh, when I leave, I leave after my wife and kids leave so I can clean up everything and put things back exactly where they're supposed to be so that the next time I'm there, I come into one sane place that has not been destroyed by my children, right? I get to see nature. I can literally be there. Uh, I do it usually once a week, maybe every other week in a bad time, uh, where I will leave work, I'll go out there, I will get on a tractor, I will do nothing, think about nothing, look at pretty deer, cut the grass, and that alone, my blood pressure goes down by 20 over 20. Every single time. Like, I can hit that dirt road. I was about to pop a beer. Darn it. I, got, I, I, I admitted something. 
I hit that dirt road, I pop that beer down that last couple hundred yards as I turn into my fence. It's like, I am happy. This helps me. Okay? That's how I do it. Let's get, let's get some, uh, some table work here. Three, go ahead. Yell out loud. Horseback riding. You get animal therapy. That's awesome. You had one over here? Reading a book. You do reading a book? Yeah. Really That's another book. way to escape. That's a different, it's an alternate reality, right? I love that. Yeah. Yes. I call, someone who loves me. call someone who loves you. Call someone who loves you. I love that. Uninterrupted time with your children. I love that. I read through my hundred grateful list. Who has a grateful list? hundred things you're grateful for. Okay. Interesting. Go ahead. So if you've never been to, if you like wine, you need to go to Napa Valley. Everyone there is just full of joy. The yeah, they're all self-medicating. It's awesome. The properties are gorgeous. The people that created the place are wonderful stories. Like it just, it like brings you into like things are good in the world. Like it's amazing. Love it. Um, be of service to somebody else in your community or at large. Be of, uh, be service, of service to somebody yeah, else. Get, get, go get so out. Like, you just go give community service hours. Yeah, I got a few organizations that I do that with regularly, and then that just helps me keep that attitude of gratitude. Oh, I love that. Hello, let's get two more. Now go to the gym and just get on and work out. Who goes to the gym? That's one of mine. Like when I am in a bad place, that's one of the things I can control. No one can screw that up but me. So I'm gonna go to work. Yep, last one. Meditation or prayer? Meditation and prayer. Prayer, 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 prayer. Who reads every who reads the Bible a little bit every day or whatever their book is that they read? Okay. I would tell you that it's definitely Roy's answer. It's definitely Roy's answer. Okay. Um, I want to uh, give one last tip for me that I didn't hear somebody say. Um, my biggest tactic here is because it takes, you know, six months or to finally recognize I've gained 10 or 15 or 20 pounds. Right. That's a slow recognition phase. My biggest one is I surround myself with good people that don't tolerate me at anything less than my best. Right. Like I have a lot of people at work, at home, in the core, in my community that literally they know when I'm on and anything less than that, I ask them, I say, hey, listen, I want you to call me on my BS. Please call me on my BS. But they care enough about me because I do the same to them. When you go by and you ask somebody, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they give you an answer that you don't believe your gut because you're listening and you're present and you don't believe the answer. Are you the person that goes back a second time and says, hey, wait a second. Come on, be honest. What's going on? Tell me, like, let it go. I had uh, eight of my core buddies do that to me last night. Eight. Eight. Like, nope, give me more. What's really going on? Damn it, I don't want to talk about it again. I already talked to seven other people. Right? Alan's laughing because he's one of them. Nikki's laughing because she was one of them. Right? Um, have you guys heard the tactic called going to the ones, the tens, and the hundreds? Okay? It's an oldie but a goodie. I learned in the core 14 years ago. I'm going to bring it back. And I'm hand over Robin. Okay. Uh, one of my first, actually, it was uh, my second homework assignment ever in the core. I used to have, who's been in the core long enough? They remember uh, um, Rick calling me the robot. Okay. So I used to be known as the robot. I was emotionless. I literally didn't cry ever to my knowledge until 24, 25, 25. Nope. I got married then. 27. The reason I started crying at 27 is I had a daughter. And, uh, and some of the estrogen was passed on to me. I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> um, but my first coach, uh, the first coach ever recognized that is like, Josh, like you're very transactional. We need to work on you. You need to per- uh, personalize it before you professionalize. 
And so he said, what I want you to assign you to is I need you to work on your ones, your tens, and your 100 conversations. Okay, I said, well, cool. Don't know what the hell that is. Let's try it out. He said, listen, the average interaction on a daily basis is level one conversations. And this is what it sounds like. You all know what I'm talking about. You're walking through the hallway. You catch eye contact. You know you should say something because you got eye contact. So you say something like, hey, how's your day going? What's going on? Good to see you, right? And literally, we keep walking, that, that normal conversation. We keep walking, and we really don't give a shit what the answer is. I got that on tape. I was doing well, right? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and you keep on walking, and you almost hear, I'm fine, as you go the other direction, right? Level one conversations are 99% of, uh, of, of our interactions on a daily basis, right? Level 10 conversations are, you know a little bit to be, da- uh, just enough to be dangerous, right? Uh, or you care enough, or, you, or you're friends enough, or whatever, but maybe you know that Alan likes to play golf. Uh, maybe uh, you know that Nikki's got a, a baby boy that's like the, the, the love of, his, of, her, of her life. Um, and you say, hey, uh, when, how's your last golf game? Like, where did you play last? How are you doing with that? You know, how was your last biking trip? Whatever it is. But a level 10 conversation is, you say something about them, their past, their parents, their kids, their work, their something that you are aware of from your previous conversation. So you can kind of pick up where you left off and continue that. And level 10 conversations don't happen that often. You know, if you think about how many conversations you have a day, you might have 20 of them in a day, if you're honest with yourself, and a good day. You want to disagree with me so far? Okay. The last one's what's called a level 100 conversation. Okay? A level 100 conversation is a heart puller. You can reach into their soul and tear their heart out with one statement. Or you can hold their heart together with one statement. Like, you know what's going on. Um, an example would be, uh, I mean, anyone's conversation with Jane in the last seven days. It was a level 100 conversation. I guarantee it. Right? And the people, those of us that have had those, that, that close of a connection with her, it's just something you don't forget for a long time. That type of a connection. Right? We seem to think that we can only have those conversations with our friends. God forbid you should have that level conversation with a perfect stranger, right? So what my coach said, he said, Josh, what I want you to do from now on, for the next two weeks, what I want you to do is every single time you're at a, a bar, frequent, a restaurant, semi-frequent, a gas station, whoever is serving you, I want you to attempt to get into a level 100 conversation. It's like, how do you do that? said, ask questions and listen. That's the, that's the only secret. Ask questions and listen. You'll know what to do. Okay? So that was a Thursday. This is in February. February is when Mardi Gras is. My buddies had called me up and said, hey, dude, we're going to Mardi Gras. We're going to pick you up from work and head on out there. Right? So I literally get picked up immediately after work. So I'm not thinking about my homework assignment. We're driving through East Texas through a place called Orange, uh, Orange Texas, way East Texas on the way into Louisiana. And uh, we need some roadies. And so it's my turn to buy. And so I walk inside the, uh, the gas station at midnight in the middle of Orange, Texas, where I know nobody. Um, the only person in there is the, the, the cashier. And uh, I walk by her and I go and grab plenty of beer to survive. And I come back over and I put it down and I, and I say, hey, how's your night going? And then I remembered as soon as I said, it, I was like, crap, I got to try a level 100 conversation. So this time, instead of saying, how, how are you doing, and just paying, like we do so often, I actually said, how are you doing? And I listened. And she gave the exact answer that we all get. What's the, what's the answer we all get? Doing great. Nice evening. 
how are you? Right? But there was something, there's no explanation. There's something in the way she said it. She flinched. She did something that in my heart, I knew there was a problem. I did not believe her at all. Right? So I took a deep breath. And I sat back and I said, and this is really awkward for me. It's going to be awkward for you because I'm assigned this homework. I said, hey, you don't know me from Adam, and I don't know you. But something in the way that you just answered me, I just don't believe it. So, before you say anything, if you just want me to be somebody that just sits here and listens, and you can just tell me what's going on, I'm happy to be that person. And she bursts into tears. Like, second statement burst into tears. And then she tells me for 10 minutes while my friends were waiting in the car for 10 minutes. She talks about how um, she had just gotten a call three hours earlier from a parole officer who was informing her that her ex-husband who had beaten her within an inch of her life 15 years earlier was being released the next day. And that is his duty to inform her that she, that, that he's being released. Right. And so all I could think to myself was, I wonder how many people walked by this lady in the last three hours, and she said, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Right? So that's the idea is we need to have more level one heart conversations. And it doesn't require you being in the closest relationship with somebody. It's a way to bridge the gap. If you have those, more of those conversations with your coworkers, more of those conversations with your employees or with your business partners, with your clients, would you probably find more joy? Would people seek you out more often? Would they seek you out more often? And would you probably have a little bit more joy in your life, more fulfilling life because of your interactions? Yes or no? Cool. Robin, I'd love to know what your triggers are. I'd love to know how you cope with them. I'd love to know what your tactics are. Awesome. I need to shave my legs because I have the chills and, you know, my hair's growing. So thank you But for they're that. sexy legs. They are sexy legs. <laughs> Just to know. <laughs> um, you know, Josh and I were talking in between, um, and I asked him what triggers him. And it's interesting for me. I know, you know, depression is actually not being sad, and it's not being happy. It's feeling nothing. Hmm. Right? Anybody ever just feel blah? There's not necessarily emotion to it, and you think that ultimately you're okay. It's just a day that you're a little bit off. And I know that when I get up and I feel blah, which does happen to me a couple times a year, um, when I show up at the office, uh, they know better than anybody else that I'm off because my energy level is down a gigantic notch. And what's interesting is that, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, you know, and I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm not my normal Robin, and they realize it so quickly, and I'm so grateful for that, um, because it bounces me very quickly, because every single day what we do, um, whether or not we choose it, everybody here is a leader, correct? And, and I think that we forget the impact that we have on other people when we are not okay. And... I know for me, as much as we are all allowed to be vulnerable and process through emotions and those kind of things, um, I also feel a, a responsibility to have gratitude within my life that lets me choose the joy because it is really hard when you think about employees who are struggling financially. 
um, employees who, you know, have a death or um, are, you know, maybe they're, you ever had an employee and realize something's wrong and later you go talk to them and you realize their checking account's overdrawn? And you're the one paying them? But you're in a bad mood and you've got how much money in the bank and your paycheck's about to come in? And that's not to say money fixes things, right? But I think that there is a, a level of gratitude that sometimes we forget to show. Um, and, and when we let things affect us, I know for me, it makes me feel like I'm not being a good leader when I cannot find the joy in the life that we have been given. And we have all these people around us, mentors and coaches and all these in- incredible people. I don't know of a single other industry that has coaches in their life um, the way that we do. I'm shy of professional sports, I would say. No. Um, and I think that... You know, the fact that we all have each other is so different um, to be able to, you know, a tactic for me is to reach out, reach out to my coach, you know, um, vent on the coaching call, look at the gratitude, you know, my gratitude journal, all these things that I've learned through being here. Anybody ever come into the summit feeling like they're dragging and then spend a few days and feel like their tank is filled back up? Crazy, right? Like just crazy. And, and I think that what a gift, what a gift that we've been given that we can show other people. And if you are not giving your team more than how to get a loan through, when we are all given this opportunity, um, that will help you. It will help you choose joy and it will help your team learn that same tactic, right? It'll help your team understand how to stay in the zone, how to recover, um, how to deal with the issues that they deal with. I have two employees that frankly deal with anxiety and depression. And one of which, um, when I got her, I almost fired her 90 days in. And then she came in and said, in order to work for me, she went off her pills because she thought it might help. And instead, she sunk deeper. And so when I sat down, I had her 90-day paycheck at my feet. I'm not joking. And she's sitting in front of me. And she's kind of shaky. And I'm like, you know, this isn't really working. And so we're kind of talking through. And she starts bawling and tells me that she has dealt with anxiety and depression her entire life. And she was swapping her medication around to see if she could be the best employee that she could because she wanted this opportunity so badly to work for me. And as the check is on the ground, I'm kicking it, like underneath my desk further, um, embarrassed that I had never taken the time to have a conversation with her about what her struggles were and why she wasn't able to be the employee that I expected of her off of one interview. Have you ever been guilty of that? And realizing what other people's struggles are? And so we're sitting there talking, and I said, um, I, want, I want to help you. Um, she, has, she has no faith in her life, um, and, and I don't care what power you go to, but, you know, I, I think faith is something that's very necessary. She's very lost, and she has uh, mom and a dad that are divorced, and mom, you know, smokes marijuana right along with her, and, you know, just different choices that she is making. And so she really got naked with me, basically, in, in sharing who she was and what she was going through. And I said, I want you to commit to some little steps each day, right? And so we talked about it, and I said, every single morning, I want you to get up, and I want you to tell yourself three things that are impactful about yourself. And I made her sit there and write them down. So every single morning, hour, just so you guys know, Shayla taught me this. I stand in the shower, and I self-talk like a crazy person for a few minutes. And what do you I say turn, to yourself? I say I am impactful. I say I'm a leader. I say that I represent God, that ultimately I'm a good wife, I am a good mother, and that I'm meant to make a difference today. And when I do that, I feel like 
it puts my mind in a place where even if I don't believe it after enough time saying it, I do believe it. And then I get out of that shower, you know, and again, my kids think I'm absolutely nuts just for the record. Um, and, and then I have a different routine in the morning. You know, I listen to music or I listen to an audio book, both of which get my mind right. It's interesting. My employee was not doing anything that ever helped her, right? Eating the wrong things. She literally drinks Red Bull, switches from coffee to Red Bull to Pepsi. I'd never seen somebody put so much garbage in. And then she's a hippie. So she oils herself at, throughout the day on top of putting a hundred chemicals in her body. Like, I'm like, you're the weirdest hippie I've ever met. Um, um, but she really was talented. And so we really settled things in. And here's what's interesting. My husband and I adopted his nephew when he was 14. And Andrew's now 26. And he's married to my assistant that had depression and anxiety issues. And they just had a baby, and they have another one on the way, Whoa. and they own a home, and they have 750 credit scores, and they have $20,000 in the bank, and they literally work every day on Lauren being able to choose joy. And she has a life that she never thought she was capable of, and she says to me all the time, um, and I really wasn't going to share this, I hadn't thought about it, that she had the hardest time finding three things about herself that she loved. And now she has so many, and motherhood is such a beautiful thing for her. And I look, and so while she struggled with that, for about six months, I text her every single morning three things that I love about her. Who can do a better job of loving on their employees? I feel like an a-hole. Like, you're amazing. <laughs> is, that, is that cuttable? Can we cut that one out too? Okay, that's amazing. I really think that, again, just all these things around joy, I was so excited to talk on the topic because I just think that we do let too much steal it. I don't think we give enough of it out. And I think that when you're filling up other people's buckets, it's interesting how your bucket's filling at the exact same time. And I think it's an underestimated tool about what we can give to other human beings. I know a lot of people in my life, some that are very dear to me, that don't have joy in their life. And it's so interesting. I, I used to want to pull away from them a little bit because of those choices. And instead, I decided to show up all the time at family events and anything. How many people have a dysfunctional family that you're like, it sucks the life out of you for a little bit? That can happen. And instead, you show up and you decide that you're going to be the thing you wish to see, right? You're going to be joy. You're going to talk about things that are great. You're going to, you know, try to change their mindset little by little by little by little. And I think about Lauren and honestly going to say, you know, that story, but now I look at it and I'm just like, it's kind of the epitome for me of what joy is. And that's giving back to other people. It just makes me happy to be around her. I'll get another crier up front. It's awesome. I wasn't supposed to point her out. Um, all right. I want to talk tactically then let's spend the last 30 minutes working on tactics. We'll do a little bit of table work. Uh, so she started to rattle off a few things. So I'll give you the cheat sheet to start with, and then we're going to let the room do it and we'll fill in the gaps. Okay. Um, how does her morning start? What did she say she does to get in the right mindset? Self-talk. Who does uh, words of affirmation? Uh, daily affirmations. Thank you. Daily affirmations. So I have underneath my keyboard from 12 years ago the exact same little post-it note. I believe it's purple written with black writing. It is under my keyboard for the last 12 years. And I mumble walking into work every day. And so anyone that's ever seen me at my work ever walking in, I'm always saying three things. I love my job. I love my, I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. I'm just going to have fun today. I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. I'm just going to have fun today. I say it all the time. Every single day is underneath my keyboard. Okay. That is a tactic. 
right? Um, so outside of that, what I want you to do really quickly, share your table, some tactics that you do currently to stay in the zone, to get your mindset right, to be tactically ahead of the curve. Because we know that the recovery sucks. Figuring out, how, oh, dude, I'm fat, got to change things. Getting out of that is a lot harder and longer than staying in the zone. Agreed? Cool. So let's stay in the zone. Go ahead and share with your table a few ideas, things that you do to stay in the zone tactically. All right, let's get some ideas. Go ahead and share from the table. Uh, we read the Bible. We exercise. Who reads the Bible? Raise your hand. Who needs to exercise more? Raise your hand. Cool. Another idea right here. Uh, we said uh, music. So, music. Uh, music, yeah. Music. You guys uh, use music to get in, the, in a good mood? Oleg was listening to, uh, what, Legends? Legend yesterday? That was awesome. Mine is Sale, by the way. So you guys know that, that song Sale? It like builds up, it crescendos. I'm like freaking out, yelling out the window by the end of it. It's pretty fun. What about you? We have a lot of forced routines here. So waking up early, getting time, just quiet time. Um, scheduling, quiet certain, time. Scheduling happy activities to keep yourself out of getting in a funk. What do you mean by that? Scheduling happy activities. What does that mean? So I now schedule dancing because it's part of how I reconnect with myself and find my joy. So I sign Ballroom dancing? Um, I'm more of a, like, bachata and, and merengue. And, oh, you're a sexy dancer. Yeah, a sexy <laughs> Good for you. It's that family. would bring me joy, too. That's awesome. Um, but then scheduling time with my husband as well for us to reconnect. So it's just scheduling it so I don't slip. Are guys allowed to schedule time with their wives to reconnect? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay, good to know. (laughs) This is something that's going to be on my checklist moving forward. This is good. Good. We talk about reviewing goals, keeping your goals in front of us, reviewing those. I love that. Guys, I want you, I'm going to put a pause on here. I want to dive a little deeper in that, okay? There's a difference between goals and micro goals. Which one will keep you in your joy lane? Micro goals, daily goals, wins and losses daily. That will keep you in the zone. Saying, I want to make a million bucks next year and being off and know you're not going to have a chance at it by halfway mark and leaving that goal alone is going to depress you for the rest of the year. But the micro goal of my job is to not leave a day without a lead. Every day, got you a lead or two leads or a signed app or a listing agreement or uh, if I can just be on the phone for two continuous hours uninterrupted, that's a micro goal, right? Add in the other things like I want to work out. No one can screw that up but you. And if we do it in the morning, which I think is a great tactic because no one else is awake at four in the morning. If you're struggling with getting your personal time, get it done first. First is AM. Make sense? I think it's an excellent point. But focus on micro goals, not goals. Micro goals. We're over here. Yep. Yeah, so he, he, he got it. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, gym, on the way to the gym. Um, YouTube starts reading your, your stuff. So like Gary Vaynerchuk, David Goggins, always something business related. Typically that starts getting me in the mindset for, you know, what my day is going to look like. And, I, and it's just like clockwork. I love it. You and I need to have a beer in 16 weeks. Let me talk about David Goggins for a second. Who knows about David Goggins? 
All right, listen, I'm telling you what's been fixing my mindset is every single morning I watch something about David Goggins. Okay, something every single morning. Let me tell you about this guy. So this guy is a, uh, a, a, a black gentleman from uh, upstate New York, and he was in a small town, all white. His dad was literally a pimp, okay, but also ran uh, a bowling alley. At an early age, he was forced to work there. His dad was a drunk alcoholic that would beat him and his mom all the time. And inside his head, his voice was always, I can't stand up to him. I should stand up to him, but I can't stand up to him. I can't. The bad self-talk that we all talk about, right? Twelve years of age, his mom finally has the guts to leave the dad. They move out to the Midwest. I don't want to bring up the town. It's somewhere in the Midwest. I think it's in Indiana. The year that they moved this small town, again, he's one of five African-American families in this town. It's the largest KKK rally of 1996. Happens to be in the town that year. And so he's in a fight every day for school, every day for high school. He's just got a rough upbringing, okay? Like I said, most of us, first world problems. He's got a little tougher. So he wants to escape it. And he wants to go to the Air Force. So he goes to the Air Force at age 18. And he's like, this is how I'm going to change my life. I'm in pretty good shape. And uh, I've got a chip on my shoulder. I've got something to prove. And so he decides he wants to be a para-jumper. A para-jumper are, is like the special forces of the Air Force. They're the guys that if you're shot down behind enemy lines, they're the guys that go and get you, right? And uh, so he's, he's trying out, he's going through it, finds out, because he didn't know, he, no, he didn't have it, he's terrified of the water, terrified of swimming, okay? So he just, he sucks up for six weeks, he breaks his feet or something like that, and he has to be, no, uh, the, uh, a blood test, he gets tested, uh, he has sickle cell anemia. So he gets sidelined for a full week, and he's looking at all these guys, like, basically in this drowning phase, like where they try to make you think you're drowning, to see if you'll, you know, punch out. And he can't imagine having to get back in the water. He's like, thank God I'm on the sideline. He gets cleared. He thought he was going to be medically discharged. He gets cleared to go back in and, and finish out. But the, the boss says, hey, dude, you've already missed this phase. You have to start from the beginning. So he quits. Okay? He quits. He drops out of the program, finds himself a cush job in the back lines, moving heavy movers. And three years later, he's out of the Air Force. So he goes back to his dream job. His dream job, he becomes a exterminator of cockroaches. Okay? So, yes, it's a joke, but it's a worse job than you have. Okay? So he goes back, and he's, he's killing cockroaches on a daily basis. And he works inside, like, uh, White Castle and all of these different places. And he, he's at these uh, fast food restaurants, so he, he falls in love with milkshakes. So he goes from 160 to 280. Okay? So he's ballooning up quick at age 24. And every day he's going home, he's thinking, this is my life. Everything that they said about me is true. Everything that those jerks in high school and my dad said to me in in elementary school, it's proven to be true that I'm going to grow up to be nothing. Right? Bad self-talk, bad self-talk. And then he makes the decision, choose joy, by the way, he makes the decision to go out and say, I'm going to break the cycle. I am going to be great. So he decides, because he ends up watching a TV show, that I think is 1996, he watched a TV show of, uh, of Navy SEALs going through BUDS training, okay? And he's like, I want to be one of those guys, because those guys, they could kick everyone's butts that talk back to him. Like, he gives lots of reasons why he wanted to do it, but the chip on his shoulder, he wanted to be the best. So he goes up and he signs up for, uh, he goes to the, to the uh, 
uh, recruiting office, right? So the recruiting office, first guy says, you're too fat. Second guy says, you're way too fat. Five guys later, there's not a chance in hell. The sixth guy he goes and talks to a different recruiter says, tell you what, we have a, 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 a new class coming up. Because your previous military, I can get you in, but you're a hundred pounds overweight for what the minute, the maximum is to be able to come in to try out, to go to buds. And so if you can lose a hundred pounds in the next, I think it was 10 or 12 weeks, sure, you can come try out. I'm sure the recruiter was basically saying, yeah, this is a no too. I just am giving you a dirty no. Right? So the guy who gets up the next day is like, yes, give me a Navy SEAL. I used to run four miles a day back in the Air Force. I'm going to run four miles a day. First day. Runs a quarter mile, can't go further, cries, walks back home crying, goes and gets a milkshake, sits down on the couch. His words, I've actually listened to a lot of these things. Sits down on the couch like, oh my God, they're all right. I can't do this. This is impossible. Right? But then something inside of him said, but if I keep saying that, I'm going to be stuck in the situation. So I'm going to try again. So he gets up in the afternoon. He tries to run. He runs a little bit further than a quarter mile. He runs a little bit further than a half a mile. And he literally lost over 100 pounds in that 10 or 12 week periods of time. He became obsessed, right? And what his big claim to fame is, is he gets obsessed with being uncomfortable. He likes to wallow in what makes him uncomfortable. He's the only guy to his knowledge that has made it through three separate hell weeks in the same year. So he tried out for the Navy SEALs three times. The reason why he didn't make it the first two times is his feet and his shins shattered from all the running. you got to imagine this 280 guy that hadn't worked out in years. Now in 12 weeks later, he's trying out for the Navy SEALs. It didn't go well the first two times. And he was medically discharged from, from the first two runs. Goes in for a third time. As he's running, he breaks his feet and his shins again. He doesn't tell anyone this time. Every night, he'd wake up an hour before the morning routine, the 5 o'clock wake-up call, take duct tape, duct tape it around his feet, duct tape around his ankles, duct tape like tight, 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 and go back to sleep for another half hour. They'd wake him up. He said he'd go on those morning runs, excruciating pain for an hour, but the reason he did so tight was so his feet would go numb, and so for the other 23 hours, he could make it. And he finished the Navy SEALs. Guy went on to run 104 miles in ultramarathon, with the last 30 miles with broken feet, by the way. And then 10 weeks later, ran 204 miles. Okay? All I'm saying is, if you're not a little bit motivated, you're crazy. So I fill my mornings with that all the time. It's like, I can do a little longer. I can send the treadmill five minutes longer. I can not drink for 16 weeks. It's going to be fine. This guy lost 100 pounds. I can lose 20 Right? Like that kind of stuff is what you need to feed your brain with. It's a big tactic. One or two more from the room? Yep. Uh, for me, it's daily gratitude journal. Gratitude journal. I love that answer. Last one. Anyone else? Right here. Tammy, right, yell it out. Celebrate what you want to duplicate. Who needs to celebrate more with their team along the way? Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Who has a gong or a bell in their office that whenever, whenever something goes well, ding, it gets infectious. You start to hear that around you a little bit. It's a good thing. Okay. Any other tactics to stay in the zone? Let's go back and forth on what you do. Uh, process the emotion. So what? this is, 
I literally run sometimes like, anybody, when you cry, people like, what do they want to do? They want to touch you. They want to stop you from crying, right? Yeah. Like, you're okay, right? Sometimes you just got to cry. Sometimes you just got to kick something. Sometimes you just got to be mad. Sometimes I have to write something mean and then shred it and go back to work. And so it's okay to process an emotion and then go back. I give myself a time frame. All right. Do you like go to the car and cry? Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. So don't bury it deep. Let it out. Let it go. Let it out. This is good. Yes. Um, My next one was uh, dress better. Dress sexy. Dress sexy. Like uh, we all have that power suit, that black dress. I have a black dress. We all have that thing, though, that we're like, I can crush it today. You guys agree with that? What's your next tactic? Uh, I tell jokes. So in oh, yeah. our morning meeting, we do, we have a week of seriousness. Anybody have a decompressed Friday? So we have a decompressed Friday. We always tell jokes. So my favorite one ever is, what did one eye say to the other eye? What? Between you and me, something smells. <laughs> It's literally just funny. It's just funny. <laughs> so make and yourself laugh more wait, often. <laughs> and you do this every week? Every single week I read Laffy Taffy jokes in my meeting. Every single week on Fridays. That's awesome. I, can, I couldn't recite the jokes I know. <laughs> um, physical touch, actually. Like, non-sexual physical touch for me is a way to stay in the zone, right? Like, uh, I think that humans like to feel connected. If you, if, if, some of you guys know me really well. I am a hugger. I was not always a hugger. If you've not been to the, the uh, rapport leadership before, please go to rapport leadership for real. Like some of us guys, some of us girls too, but a lot of the guys especially, like it's not manly to hug it out. Like trust me, hug it out more often. That 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 is a instantaneous connection to people that we need and we crave. So just hug people more often. What else? Uh, reframe. So reframing Ooh, things into love. Um, reframing things. Todd actually taught me this, I think, more than anybody. Um, reframing things. So opportunities, everything from there's a really angry agent on the line. Want to take the call? Yes, I do. Why? Because you can turn it into an opportunity to change their mood and make them happy, right? Like, so everything, and we constantly work on this with the team, reframing. I constantly work on it with my children. Reframing things into wonderful opportunities. Traffic stinks. You're already running behind. Reframe it into I get to make a few more calls or have a great conversation with my dad who I owed a phone call to. Whatever it is, just reframe. That's a great tech. You can do a better job with that. Cool. Here's my next one. Seek counseling. For real, right? Like, go to a legitimate, licensed counselor and get real advice, okay? So I told you I didn't cry from 0 to 17, right? Or 27, I'm sorry. I blame it on my daughter, okay? I'll tell you the real answer is I went to counseling. Um, I went to counseling, and I, uh, and this is when I found out that I had a bad thing happen to me when I was a kid. I was molested when I was a kid. I don't remember anything from age about 8 and earlier, like nothing other than pictures, uh, so I, I live my eight-year-old and before life in the pictures I've seen with my brother and my, my family and the place I've moved. I literally didn't remember it at all. Had no clue. And I wondered why I had anger issues and I didn't cry. I fought a lot all the time in college and I never cried. I went to a counselor who told me after about 15 minutes, Josh, like you're going to need more counseling. I was like, this is a bad idea. I, this is not good for me. And at the 45-minute mark, she uncovered that that had been burying for literally 27 years. Okay, so I'm just saying, go get real counseling every once in a while. It's a good thing for you. Okay, what I love else? it. Well, mine's really lighthearted. I skip. You skip? I skip. 
Like I leprechaun skip through the office. You literally cannot be unhappy skipping just for the record. It's like impossible. So I'll, I'm going to demonstrate and hope I don't fall. Are we ready? This is literally my leprechaun skip. <laughs> no joke. All the way through. So this, this is what's going to happen. Uh, Rick Ruby walks up to you and he's going to say, Hey, what did you learn in the class? I learned how to skip. <laughs> this, is, this is a leprechaun skip. This is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, another tactic is travel every, every 90 days. Period. End of story. Long weekends, set travel, calendar it out ahead of time before January 1st. Know what you're doing next year. I can work really hard for a long time, but I cannot work really hard forever. So calendaring out your vacations ahead of time to give you something to look forward to. It doesn't have to be a big waste of money, a big expensive trip, and not in your personal planning budget. It's just set time where you're not going to work. Super important to mental health. Okay? What else? I go back to the basics. So things that make me happy that also make me feel valuable to the things that are most important to me. So that's family. So when I love a Sunday at home of yard work oh, and yeah. cooking dinner and baking something and watching a family movie, I like to just recenter on nothing that costs a bunch of money, but just the good things that really bring us joy. I love that. First of all, let me tell you this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have some counseling today. I feel much better than I did an hour and a half ago. First of all, second of all, I just want to thank publicly Robin because she was actually a rock I absolutely needed today, and I think she crushed it. So if you'll just give her a round of applause, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Cheers. I love it. I love it. We have lunch, guys. You're free to go. Um, If you want to chat offline, you want to cry. If you need a hug, I will hug you anytime. Okay. Bye, guys. You've been listening to the Core's Sales Training Bootcamp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.thecoretraining.com.